is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast uh, where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about uh, hockey for the first time in at least a little bit. Uh, I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, David Shane. And Dave, we have not done just like a, just the two of us episode for like a couple weeks now. So how you been, man? How's it going? Um, I'm kind of like the Knights. I'm, you know, getting a little better each day, uh, getting a little healthier, feeling, feeling a little better. So, yeah, I think, uh, it's kind of weird. I, I, I'm, I'm in sync with the Knights. Apparently. I don't, I don't know how that happened. Well, I think like you said, that's probably good news because things are definitely trending in the right direction for the Knights, both the recent on ice results wise, and obviously, uh, health wise, we're going to get into all of that. On today's episode, Uh, before we do all that, I do want to remind everyone that uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal. So make sure to check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. That's what pays the bills. Uh, Also, we are presented by uh, Blue Wire. Uh, We are so excited to uh, be coming back with you guys with kind of a normal podcast because we had Thanksgiving. And then last week we did a podcast, not with the two of us, but with Golden Knights defensemen. Uh, Nick Haig that I encourage you guys to check out. We had some, you know, fun discussion about some of the, you know, the equipment that he as a taller guy gets to use. And uh, he went into his history with Golden Knights coach Pete DeBoer uh, back when he was growing up in Kitchener. And I thought that was really interesting. So uh, that was our episode last week. So please check that out. But this week, like I said, we're doing more of a normal one where I actually just kind of go through what's going on with the team. And Dave, I mean, you mentioned off the top, uh, the Knights look like the Knights again. And what I mean by that is basically, you know, almost everyone uh, is back. Like not everyone, Alec Martinez and Jack Eichel are, are still out. Uh, but Nolan Patrick even is skating in a non-contact jersey. Uh, William Carlson and Max Pacioretty are playing games again after breaking their feet. Uh, what is it like to see this team actually resemble the team that we expected it to look like, Dave? A little unusual. Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of not sure how to uh, process everything. Like it's kind of funny. Like you almost have to take everything in segments. Um, it's almost like a couple of years ago, like when Nate Schmidt was suspended. There was, you know, before Nate Schmidt and then after Nate Schmidt that that year. This year, it almost feels like there's like the nights before injuries and then after injuries. So we'll kind of see how things, you know, get going, you know, going forward. But, you know, we'll talk about this too here. I mean, at least in terms of the on ice product, uh, especially the last couple of games, you know, Arizona's struggling, but the Knights went down there and, you know, a little bumpy first period and then did what they had to do. Obviously, against Calgary, Pete DeBoer said that was their best defensive effort of the year. So in terms of just the on ice stuff and, you know, what's it like to actually see what they look like? Yeah. I mean, the last couple of games I think have been, you know, more like what everybody expected all along. Yeah. Let's get into that a little bit. Cause last game, as you mentioned, uh, Pete DeBoer called it one of the night's best defensive games in beating the Calgary flames three to two. I mean, I think it was just playing one of their most impressive games of the season. I mean, Calgary uh, coming in was a first place team, the Knights obviously uh, beat them at home. All four lines created chances. Uh, Nicholas Waugh gets a goal and an assist on uh, the third line. Um, it just seemed like, you know, it was kind of what we had expected coming in from training camp where, 
you know, the Knights had been talking up, you know, we think this is the best forward group we have and the deepest, and we're going to be able to score from all four lines. And obviously, for a lot of reasons, it didn't feel like that for, you know, a lot of these first two months of the season, mainly because guys were coming in and out of the lineup. And so they weren't actually getting to showcase what they thought was going to be their four line depth because some of the top guys were out of the lineup and they had to move guys up. But now they get guys back like William Carlson and Nick Watt goes to the third line. He really impresses there, at least for one game on Sunday. Uh, is this what the team is supposed to look like when it's at its best, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I'll take your question literally in terms of like the top six is intact. You know, you've got Stevenson, Patch, Eddie, and Stone together. You've got the misfit line together. And what that means and wh- wh- how it all filters down. And, you know, Nick Waugh filled in admirably when William Carlson was out and Pete Boer referred to it yesterday and then, or not yesterday, but after the game, I think Sunday and then again today. Um, you know, that that Nick Waugh, you know, the first 10 games was really good. And then maybe, you know, it it petered off a little bit for him, you know, from there. But but it's more about like he he can play in the top six. If you need him to, he can plug in and give you some games. But long term, like he's probably better in your top, or excuse me, in your bottom six. He's probably best suited as your third line center, you know, the way that he is. It bumps down Keegan Colasar. Like all of a sudden, everybody is in the spots that they're most comfortable that everybody kind of, you know, would have predicted. And I think you see the results, you know, not, nothing against some of those guys. And, and obviously, you know, if Keegan Colasar needs to skate a game on like, you know, the second line or something like that, he can do it. But long term, this is more what Pete DeBoer envisioned and having trust in all four lines and being able to roll them out, you know, not crushing those first two lines in terms of ice time, you know, making sure the fourth line is, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, maybe even up to 12 minutes, something like that. So yeah, all, all of it just sort of slots everybody you know, back into the right spots. And I think Pete DeBoer even used the, you know, you're avoiding the square peg in a round hole, you know, kind of analogy. And and more than anything, I think that's just what was most noticeable about the Calgary game. You know, just to go back to like, they look like themselves, like it's the first line actually rolling out there and matching up. It's the misfit line actually rolling out there, you know, and matching up and it it allows Pete DeBoer and, you know, Ryan McGillwright and the defense to, to go back to, you know, sort of the way that they always did things. And, you know, it was, it was tougher. They got great minutes from, you know, Jake LeCision, Jonas Rongbeard, Paul Cotter, you know, those guys that got called up, but, you know, now it's closer to the 13 guys that they probably, you know, pegged coming out of training camp and closer to the roles that they probably, you know, had originally penciled everybody into. Right, which is interesting because, yeah, it was closer to the formula that we've seen from this team. They're basically last two playoff runs under Pete DeBoer where he's got this top six and then he's got, you know, what they hope is a mismatch kind of third line that can score against other teams' depth players. And obviously the past two years, they've been using Alex Tuck to like really take advantage of like second and third uh, defensive pairs where other teams just don't have kind of the horses 
to you know have guys that can defend a third line player that has that much speed and strength because their top defensive guys are too busy worried about you know Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, um, and Jonathan Marchessault. And obviously, this past game it was kind of similar where um, you know William Carlson. I was actually playing pretty well in his first game back from his broken foot. Uh, Max Pacioretty, Chandler Stevenson, and Mark Stone are doing their usual thing, and they actually scored the Knights' first goal. But it's then uh, the third line then is stepping up and then taking advantage of some of their easier matchups where uh, Nick Waugh gets a goal and an assist. Evgeny Dadnov gets a really key goal uh, in the third period that ends up being uh, the game-winning goal. I mean, this is kind of the formula that we've seen them ride uh, two really deep playoff runs the the past two years to two different kind of, I guess, semifinals, you would say, because one of them technically uh, wasn't a a conference final. You know, this is kind of how they want to do it, right, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think the formula, you know, when the Knights are playing well under Pete DeBoer, and I know this is not a stat that he necessarily goes to or uses as a barometer, but like shot differential, you know, is, is usually a very... Um, easy indicator. You know, the Knights usually have many more shots and don't give up as much. Like it's, it's simple. I'm being reductive. I know, but like when, when they're playing well, that's what happens. They don't give up a lot of chances. They don't give up a lot of shots. You know, they possess the puck more. They're getting shots, you know, for, for fancy analytics, it's, you know, Corsi, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. Like it tilts heavily in the Knights favor when they're playing well. I think that Flames game, that Calgary game was, you know, maybe the closest we've seen to it. There's one other game that jumps out that we saw it. And maybe coincidentally, it's because it was a really good team. That game at at Colorado, um, I think it was in late October, if my calendar is is correct. That would be the other one that really jumped out where you could see the defensive formula and structure, you know, really on point and then turning that defense you know, into their offense. I, I think that's the way they want to do They're not going to beat good teams seven to one. They're not going to like boat race everybody. You know, that's, that's playoff contenders the way that they did the coyotes. They're going to have to play the way that they did against the flames, you know, a little closer to the vest, you know, a little tighter, keep things to the outside, um, take advantage of the rush opportunities when they're there and, and be opportunistic. That's sort of, you know, been their formula against good teams, it's worked. And and I think going forward against, you know, this schedule, those teams, that's that's more of what you're likely to see, especially now that they're, you know, close to full strength. Yeah, so now let me flip that on its head because as we talked about, this has been their formula for two deep playoff runs. It was their formula for a very impressive win against a first-place team. Um, but I don't know about you Dave, but it was hard when I was watching that not to have at least like a little bit in the back of my mind of thinking, you know, this is how they've done it. This is what it's looked like when they've been successful the last two years. I'm not sure they're going to be able to be successful with this kind of um, formula moving forward here. And uh, that's because I'm not sure that they're going to be able to have this kind of lineup in, you know, two to four ish, Months And for those kind of unaware of what I'm hinting at or what I'm getting at here, it's the fact that, uh, you know, Jack Eichel is still uh, rehabbing from his neck surgery right now. He's skating in North Carolina. Um, he had that surgery in November. And general manager Kelly McCrimmon said after they traded for Jack Eichel that they expect him to be ready three to five months 
after the surgery. And uh, Jack Eichel has a $10 million cap hit that the Knights will have to squeeze onto uh, the roster. They are already a little less than $10 million over the salary cap limit right now, but it's fine because Eichel is on LTIR. It will become not fine when they activate him and uh, potentially try to play him in a regular season game. Um, So all of a sudden, the way that they can win with this kind of depth that we're talking about all of a sudden will become a lot more challenging because they're going to have to move potentially multiple players off this roster uh, to get Eichel on. And it was very interesting for me, like I said, watching the game and kind of thinking about all that. And then even today, um, Pete DeBoer kind of gave a very long answer about how this is how we've done it. We've won with depth and that's how you get it done in the playoffs. Just look at, you know, Tampa Bay, who he's pointed to a lot saying like Tampa Bay's third line is the reason that they were back to back Stanley Cup champions. Even William Carrier uh, today was talking about how, you know, uh, bottom six scoring is how you usually win in the playoffs. And I don't know. It was just interesting to me, Dave, because uh, the way that the Knights have set themselves up the past two years certainly gives a lot of credence to the fact that they believe in that statement. The fact how they played uh, last game uh, sets them up to obviously believe in that statement. How they are potentially going to look going forward uh, means that they might not believe in that statement so much. And I don't know. It's been interesting for me to wrap my head around all of that. Uh, What are kind of your thoughts on how this situation might shape up moving forward? Well, on the one hand, I think there's an element, you know, maybe of not changing that that Jack Eichel, since we're talking about him specifically, you know, is going to kind of have to buy into that system as opposed to the other way around. You know, that's what's worked here. That sort of is Pete DeBoer's coaching style and philosophy. And that's somewhat, you know, this team's identity, you know, under Pete DeBoer for the last, you know, it's getting close to two years in terms of calendar and, you know, two and a half, three seasons here. So I I don't expect much to change in terms of that. Like, I don't think you take, you know, Jack Eichel, put him into the lineup, make whatever, you know, subtractions you have to make for the salary cap to work. And then all of a sudden say, okay, well now we're going to play like fire wagon hockey and we're going to leave like, you know, uh, an off wing, like way up at the other blue line and stretch the defense and like do all these, you know, kind of offensive wide open type of things. Like I don't expect that to happen just because Jack Eichel's there. And then maybe a couple of the depth forwards, you know, have to come out. We were kind of talking about this, you know, a little bit after practice and without speculating too much, like, you know, a couple of names have been thrown out there, you know, obviously like if it has to, you know, become a major salary thing. Like, you know, look, elephant in the room, Riley Smith is, you know, pending unrestricted free agent at 5 million bucks a pop. Uh, you look around at, you know, what some guys fetched even last year at the trade deadline. And, you know, the Golden Knights can probably envision getting a pretty good return on somebody like him. Um, the Donoff also makes 5 million. Um, you start going down you know, the depth and things. And, you know, somebody like Matthias Yanmark, who played really well last game and has played pretty darn well the last few games. I think we both agreed on that, you know, seems like once he's got back from the COVID 
uh, diagnosis and, and going through that, he's sort of getting his conditioning back. I think he's closer to hundred percent, probably feeling like himself, but you know, early on in the season, we saw Jonas Romier and Jake LeCision, Paul Cotter. Like we've seen some of these guys that come up and have been able to do a job. And so if the Knights decide, you know, that that's how they're going to do things and they're going to use their depth by say separating Jack Eichel from the top six, kind of giving him his own line to, to drive as a third line. Like I still think they're going to view things as winning with depth. I just think that depth maybe is going to look a little different. It might be guys who, you know, were up early in the season, silver Knights, or, you know, might just be rearranging, you know, some of the guys that are on the team now, depending on injuries or whatever the situation is once Jack Eichel is ready to come back. But I guess where I'm going with this and sort of long story short is I don't expect them style-wise to really dramatically change just because, you know, Jack Eichel and his offensive talent is, is going to get plugged in this lineup here at some point. Get all the Nevada Preps high school sports coverage you need, plus all Southern Nevada team announcements powered by the Review Journal at NevadaPreps.com. Nevada Preps is sponsored by College Prospects of America, connecting student athletes with academic and athletic opportunities. Find out how at CPOA-Nevada.com. We will obviously have to see how uh, personnel-wise they'll change, if at all, Um, but there is still quite a bit of time till they have to make those decisions and you know, circumstances or injuries could arise where they don't really have to make a decision like that. I just thought it was, like I said, interesting watching Sunday's game, hearing what some people on the team had to say about uh, the game, and then thinking about the path that this team is potentially heading down moving forward. It was just interesting. But um, let's talk about some other things going on uh, with the team as well. Uh, the night special teams uh, are on fire. Uh, Max Pacioretty coming back has basically single-handedly made the power play uh, dangerous. And then the penalty kill uh, leads the NHL in shorthanded goals uh, and is on a great run with four scoreless games in a row, uh, despite playing three top five power plays uh, in Edmonton, Anaheim, and uh, Calgary. Um, and Dave, I believe I overheard you having an interesting conversation with uh, our colleague at the Las Vegas on Justin Emerson the other day about you know, what's interesting about how the Knights PK has worked, and this has been a consistent thing going back a couple of years now, is not just about how they defend. And I think we've talked about kind of the changes that Pete DeBoer has made there since he took over, um, but who they defend with, especially now that they're back at full strength. Um, you know, they aren't a team, despite uh, Pete DeBoer kind of talking about this at the beginning of the year that necessarily relies on kind of, you know, bottom six grinders to kill penalties. They do kind of view it as, uh, for lack of a better phrase, kind of a a job befitting of some of their glamour players, which is interesting. Yeah, you know, and it was was an interesting kind of a fun conversation. Um, I mean, I'm going to date myself a little bit, and I did in in that conversation as well. You know, I grew up especially, you know, watching, Watching a lot of like 80s hockey and then, you know, like early 90s, that was sort of, you know, you know, my generation kind of where I was was reared on on the NHL. And what you used to always see was, like you said, it was like the grinder guys, 
you, if you were a fourth line player, you were expected to be a penalty killer. And I'll give you an example. Like back then, William Carrier would have been a, a penalty killer. He would have been like a prime penalty killer because he's got speed and, you know, usually kind of a defensive minded guy, all that sort of stuff. He would have been the dude up top wagging his stick in the box, like, you know, doing all that sort of thing. And he can't even get on the ice for the Golden Knights as a five on four guy. Like it just doesn't happen. It's so different in terms of the philosophy. Um, and it's really, you're starting to see it permeate, you know, throughout the league as Justin pointed out. And, you know, we were talking about like, you know, you look at Carolina and they use Sebastian Ajo, you know, that way as somebody who's a threat, you know, somebody who makes the, makes the power play think makes the, the guys on the point say, okay, I have to maybe back off here a little bit because I know this guy's going to fly the zone and I know he's capable, you know, if he gets a breakaway, you know, of scoring a goal and, and breaking our back and seen it time and time again, the way, you know, the Knights are, even if they don't score, they get a two on one or, or they get something that just breaks up, you know, the rhythm of the other team's power play rather than just standing around, you know, for two minutes in the box and just trying to keep them to the outside. It's, it, it really has evolved in terms of the way penalty killing is. And, and the personnel I think is such a big part of that, you know, you see Riley Smith out there and, and now you'll see William Carlson. You see Chandler Stevenson and, and Mark Stone. It's, it, it really is. It's a totally different philosophy. It's a big change from, you know, hockey 25, 30 years ago. Like you don't have a guy, you know, this was the, the guy that I always bring up. This is a gold standard for me is a guy named John Madden played for the university of Michigan. And he went to the devils and like the guy was just a penalty killing menace, like specialist. He was so good at it. And you know, you go through the nights in their history and yeah, you know, guys like Belmar, you know, no shit. They all killed penalties, but they were like defensive penalty killers. And, and you watch the way that Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson, Riley Smith and Carlson, especially that they look for offense. They look for opportunities on the penalty kill. And, and it really is different. It really is dangerous. And it, it really does, I think, throw other teams power plays you know, off their game a little bit. And it makes them think about having to defend when you're not used to doing that on a power play. Right. Which is, yeah, just really, really interesting stuff. Um, like I said, the Knights lead the league in shorthanded goals with six. They're actually only minus five on the penalty kill the entire season, which obviously they're supposed to be minus. They are killing penalties. Uh, and you have teams like, uh, Vancouver that are just so, so uh, far below that, which is, of course, why uh, they fired their coach, uh, Travis Green, the other day. But the uh, Vancouver uh, Canucks, if you can believe it, are uh, minus 28 on the penalty kill. So the Knights being only minus five, uh, which last I checked was tied for best in the league, is very, very impressive. Um, another piece of news that uh, we have to hit is the fact that after that Calgary game, um, Robin Leonard broke the news that he is not going to participate in the Olympics for Team Sweden. Um, he said he pulled out for health reasons after talking to his uh, psychiatrist. Um, so basically, for those that don't know, um, the protocols for the 2022 uh, Beijing Winter Games are uh, supposed to be extremely uh, strict. And Leonard doesn't want to put himself in that environment and also does not want to put himself uh, at risk at having to uh, stay there longer than expected if he happens to test positive uh, for COVID-19 there. 
Um, for those that remember, uh, Robin Leonard last season was very vocal about he didn't like how strict the NHL's protocols were, even after uh, players got fully vaccinated and he kind of accused the NHL and the Players Association of kind of misleading um, players about saying, you know, hey, if you'll get get the shot, then we'll loosen up kind of protocols and how you guys can move around the world. And it took a while for that actually to happen. And Leonard uh, was vocally uh, critical of that because he thought that was not ideal for a uh, player's mental health. Um, and overall, based on kind of this season has started, I do think uh, Jacob Markstrom, who is a Calgary starter, they actually faced off on Sunday, would probably have been the starter for Sweden over Leonard. Um, but just overall, kind of what was your reaction to uh, hearing the news, Dave? So I want to be a little bit careful on how I how I address this because I don't want it to come off wrong. Um, I think, especially when Robin Leonard went onto Twitter and explained you know, his reasons for it a little bit more in detail, it makes absolute perfect sense, especially for someone, you know, like him in terms of the mental health aspect of it. And, you know, like you said, putting himself at risk, like if you pop positive, if you pop hot over there, whether it's, you know, false positive or, or whatever, like you're stuck, you're, you're there for three weeks, you're, you're done. And I think, especially for someone like him, and you just did a great job, you know, of, of putting the context in and kind of where he's at with everything, you know, last year, him being so critical, you know, of just, you know, not being able to kind of get out and live and, and how important it is, especially for him. Uh, I do want to say one other thing though, and I don't want to discount or discredit what I just said or, or all of Robin Leonard's reasons that he laid out, but, but I do think it needs to be acknowledged. And I do think it's fair that he was on the chirp podcast with Darren Millard. Um, I believe in October, I'm not a hundred percent on that. I hope I'm getting the dates right. But on that podcast, he was asked about the Olympics and, you know, Robin was very upfront and very frank um, to be quite honest. He basically said like, if he's not going to be the starter, for team Sweden, then it's not worth his time to go over there. That, that with all of the things, the mental health and, and everything that, that it would entail that it's probably not the best environment for him. And, and maybe, you know, getting that break, um, being able to focus on the Knights and the Stanley cup, you know, would, would be a silver lining and a positive for him. So I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to take away from everything that he said, and all of the reasons, but admittedly, I'm not surprised because I think he sort of, you know, set up this possibility or, or kind of put it out there that, you know, maybe this was something that he was going to consider doing. And, you know, look, the other thing is too, he doesn't have the best relationship with the Swedish hockey federation. I think he's on record with that. I think everybody kind of knows that too. So, you know, again, I, it's probably not the biggest surprise I think we all looked at it and said, you know, yeah, you know, if he's on his game, if he's playing well, like, why wouldn't he represent Sweden? It makes, you know, makes a lot of sense. But there were some other things, you know, kind of swirling around with this, you know, maybe, you know, not so much behind the scenes. But again, it, it wasn't a total shock. Maybe the timing of it and how and why, you know, he, he presented, you know, that fact that he pulled out from from consideration. But I think ultimately I, I was maybe sort of expecting to hear that at some point to be, to be perfectly frank. 
Yeah, no, it was interesting to hear him say it. It'll be interesting to see if any players kind of um, follow uh, suit here. Um, there are a lot of other Knights players that are expected to coach the Olympics. Uh, Pete Tvor and Misha Donskov are on Team Canada's coaching staff. Um, Alex Petrangelo has already been named to that team as well. I'm looking at probable other probable Olympic guys for the Knights. Mark Stone and Shea Theodore are probably also going to be named to Team Canada. Um, Max Pacioretty, one would assume, is going to be a strong candidate for Team USA. Um, same for William Carlson uh, for Sweden. Uh, plus, there are guys like uh, Evgeny Dadnov for the Russian Olympic Committee, uh, Jonas Ronbjerg for Denmark, and uh, Sven Berchi for Switzerland that uh, you could also easily see going. Um, but there is kind of a, a question out there. I think Leonard has pushed this forward. Um, is the NHL going to go as a whole? And if it does, even how many of its members are going to uh, sign up for it? Uh, the league can opt out of the Olympics by January 10th. If it wants to, if it doesn't feel like it's safer in its best interest for whatever reason, um, because going to the Olympics was something that was part of the latest round of collective bargaining uh, negotiations between the league and the Players Association, you would assume that the league is only going to actually pull out um, unless it, you know, A, either hears from the Players Association that we're good with it if you don't go, or B, if like, you know, the COVID situation at some point gets uh, so bad in North America that they feel like they won't be able to make up like postponed games or something, or that the same, the season would be, you know, at risk in some way, you know, if the players actually do go to uh, the Olympics, um, you know, so as we uh, sit here, Dave, on uh, December the 7th, about a month away from that potential opt out date. And we've seen some postponements, in the NHL, but not a lot. The uh, Senators and the Islanders have had games postponed, but they're the only ones. Uh, but there have been quite a few outbreaks, including with the Golden Knights. Uh, has your expectations of, you know, kind of the likelihood of the NHL going to the Olympics uh, changed at all compared to when we first heard the news that they had agreed to go uh, earlier before the season started? And I think uh, we were among the many people kind of doing like a uh, very excited happy dance because we want to see NHL players, you know, in the Olympics doing kind of best on best tournament things. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope. I, I mean, I think I certainly want to see it. I'm sure you do. And you know, a lot of other people, I know the players want to go. I think maybe it's changed slightly, you know, maybe I'm a tad, you know, more skeptical or just concerned about the situation as a whole, what can happen here in the next month plus um, in terms of just the worldwide, you know, pandemic and and whether we'll see a lot of outbreaks i think i think you laid it out and and i think the nhl will probably look at it that way in terms of you know if there's a whole bunch of issues coming up and you know they need to reschedule uh you know all postponements all those sorts of things you know and they need that time then then yeah maybe I, i could see it but i think if everything stays status quo um it would it wouldn't change anything i think people will will go. I, you know, Pete DeBoer made a, had a great quote, you know, the other day about, I mean, if he gets the opportunity to play, like he would swim over there. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to be a little bit different. I think everybody's level of, you know, concern, you know, might be a little different clearly for Robin Leonard. He didn't want to risk, you know, if, if something were to happen in terms of testing positive and, you know, the result of that, but it seems like for the most part, everybody's still on board. Everybody's still motivated to go and put on the show. 
So I would expect it to still happen, but if anything, you know, the, with, that we've learned over the last couple of years with all of this is like, you know, you never know, never say never. And like everything can change, you know, in an instant. So, you know, we'll see. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly more concerned, but, but I still feel like it'll, you know, it'll happen and, and we'll get to see, you know, the U S and Canada and all these other great teams go at it. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Um, I'm a little bit more concerned than I was certainly when it felt like we were all kind of popping champagne corks when the NHLs kind of reached an agreement with the IOC. But I do still, like as of right now, think it's going to happen. I just think the players care about it. I mean, too much. Obviously, they fought for it in you know collective bargaining talk. So I think the majority of guys still do want to go and put on their country sweater. And that just happens to mean uh, a lot to these guys as it should. It's obviously a very uh, huge honor. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if Leonard is not the last person to kind of opt out or publicly kind of raise their hand saying, I'm not comfortable with this. Um, but I think enough players still will raise their hand that, you know, the Olympics will hopefully go on with NHL players. We'll obviously have to see if that indeed ends up happening. We'll have to see how the Knights continue to play moving forward here because they have a, a pretty tricky stretch coming up where they've got some good teams uh, on their schedule, including the Stars tomorrow, the Wild on Sunday before embarking on a four-game road trip to the East Coast to play Boston and uh, the New York team. So uh, we'll keep our ear to the ground with any other night's news that comes out there of course make sure to check back to reviewjournal.com for all of that because this podcast is brought to you by the las vegas review journal we are presented uh, by blue wire uh, make sure to check out our previous episodes including last week's interview with gold knights defenseman nick Hag. that was a lot of fun um, but for now i'm in goats that's david chain we are the golden Knights podcast and we'll talk to you guys again real soon All the Nevada Preps high school sports coverage you need, plus all Southern Nevada team announcements powered by the Review Journal at NevadaPreps.com. Nevada Preps is sponsored by College Prospects of America, connecting student athletes with academic and athletic opportunities. Find out how at CPOA-Nevada.com.